I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. Westworld. MGM presents Westworld. Your attention, please. We will soon be landing at Westworld, the ultimate resort. We have you on grid five, over. It consists of three worlds of the past. Locking in now. Worlds where you can live out your every fantasy. There's Roman world, the lusty, decadent delights of Imperial Pompeii. Notify ground crews. Medieval world, chivalry and combat in 13th century Europe. And Westworld. Lawless violence on the American frontier of the 1880s. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Let's stand by for resort activation. Ready on six, on five, on four, on three, on two. Activate now. Our robots are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation. Dinner at 7, breakfast at 6.30. Get lunch on your own. Don't look like much here, but we have everything. You mean to tell me he's a robot? What'll it be? Uh, vodka martini on the rocks with a twist of lemon. Very dry, please. Just give him whiskey. He's new in town. Many elements of the Delos Resort are potentially dangerous. That's part of the appeal. Go on. You say something, boy. Kill him. Your move. Our technology is designed to provide all this in complete safety. In Westworld, frustrations find release. Desire ends in satisfaction. Let me handle it. And all in a controlled environment. That's not supposed to happen. We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it. The ultimate resort. Let me do it this time. Where nothing, nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm shot. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh, my God. Shut down. Shut down immediately. Westworld from MGM, starring Yul Brynner, Richard Benjamin, and James Brolin. Westworld, the ultimate resort. Boy, do we have a vacation for you, for you, for you, for you. This commissioned show is about the 1973 film written and directed by Michael Crichton. To commission the 2016 HBO show, multiple seasons of it that exists right now, would have cost a lot more. But this way, we get to discuss the general principles and at least refer to the expanded scenarios of this contemporary TV remake. Sharon and I have seen the first season, and it was good. Sometimes great. But it was also bogged down by a lot of things we don't love about TV. A slumbering pace, meandering plot that gets silly and contradictory, many filler episodes, and existing in order to perpetuate further seasons. Plus the Game of Thrones effect of being overly nasty and rapey to get attention. That said, it has an amazing soundtrack, an arresting visual aesthetic, and one of the best intro sequences of any show. Plus it's really well acted. Mm, yes. 
The original from nearly 50 years ago is one of the oldest non-Disney films that we've covered on School of Movies and it was made in the early 70s when sci-fi was getting dark and introspective and like Silent Running, A Clockwork Orange and Logan's Run, it ponders humanity and what we're capable of. The premise is simple. The Delos Resort is a Disney-style getaway for adults only. When you spend your $1,000 a day in one of their worlds, you get an immersive experience of ancient Rome, medieval Europe, or the Wild West. And to facilitate the violent, aggressive, sexually charged dreams of the tourists, the fungineers behind Delos fill their parks with artificial people – plus horses, dogs, and snakes. This means the real humans can murder, maim, rape, burgle, stalk, or peep at any non-living cast member in their chosen, stylized historical backdrop. This presents all manner of ethical and sociological issues which will make up the meat of this episode, and eventually, inevitably, in the film, the robot people do of course rise up and overthrow their cruel human masters in an orgy of blood and the kicking and the biting with the metal teeth and the hurting and shoving. Huge thanks to Eric Jones for commissioning this one. It has proved very engaging. Our spring window is now open, folks, so if you'd like to get an episode commissioned, just get in touch via Twitter or Patreon or on the Discord. Sharon and I will negotiate and pick the ones that feel like they will make for the best shows. So let's begin at the beginning of Westworld with two guys travelling to spend a weekend at Murderous Cowboy Town, the overly cool returning customer John, played by James Brolin, father of Thanos, and the weaselly first-timer Peter, played by Richard Benjamin. The only other major character you have to remember here is Yul Brynner as the Man in Black, a somber, menacing gunfighter who haunts the fake town. It is the distant future, the year 1983. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. That year is a little worrying because it indicates that in the early 70s they thought that kind of AI might be that close. I mean, a lot of sci-fi uh, tends to aim a little bit too early, like mm. Demolition Man uh, yeah. aim, aimed too early on, on what it could do. Uh, mm. Even um, Terminator, Judgment Day is 1997. Strange mm. Days, yeah. that was just aiming a few years ahead. Mm. So it's it's by no means the first sci-fi to do. Jurassic Park is supposed to be contemporary. That's true. Yeah. Some of the most convincing sci-fi is uh, stuff which doesn't feel too far removed from what we have. If, say, with Logan's Run, they aim for the distant future, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel as grounded in reality. That is very true. And if you go and everyone's to... wearing rings. Yes. Which are not cool. Not cool at all. Hey, did that guy just say rings are cool? No, he said they're stupid. Cool. And if you go too far ahead, then you end up with a situation like Alien, where in the distant future we will still be using cathode rays and daisy wheel printers. See, I like the um, the retro futurism of uh, mm. Alien because it oh, suggests like it. the future from that standpoint. Yeah, I, I like it, but it does, once current tech has overtaken mm. the tech that's in that movie, it then yeah. makes it a, a... Or Red Dwarf, where they're uh, watching videotapes. Yes. <laughs> Although the videotapes are triangular. How on earth that was never going to work? Not all of them. The ones in the low ship were just regular just rectangles. Regular they forgot about the triangular ones. Anyway, so the premise uh, is that the tourists get to kill cowboys, shag Romans, marry a beautiful princess. Uh, effectively, it offers to people 
Um, by and large, it's be awful and get like not only um, get away with it, but you're, you're pretty much expected to do it. Mm. There's this weird. I mean, let's jump straight to it, folks. It's kind of a murder camp for psychopaths. It's not. That's not for everyone there. There's, there's, there's in the um, the new TV show. There's uh, like one family who really seem out of place, mm. uh, and it's like you would bring your kids here. There's murders in the street. What the? What do you? What? There's a reason why it's an adults-only park. Like the things that go on here are not really for child eyes, but also the things that go on here seem to. There is an action that is taken when you get aboard the hovercraft and fly away from civilization and land on this place and you are asked to change into cowboy gear before you go into the cowboy town uh, because they kind of want you to get into character but the getting into character also requires you to kind of shed your illusions about what makes for society mm. so you go in there spoiling for a rumble well i think it, it, looking at the in-world explanations for why it exists, it's an extension of play for for, for children. Yeah, they, they they equate it with playing cowboys and Indians exactly. when you were kids. Now, um, if I kind of cast my mind back to uh, being a child playing with Barbies. Yes, all right, I did used to tie them to chair legs and have them rescued or not and, um, you know, generally do unpleasant things sometimes to the dolls. Having an opportunity to do that as an adult does not appeal because the point is you do that when you're a child because you're working through the consequences in a very safe no uh, actual impact on real people environment. The idea is that by the time you're an adult and out there unleashed on the world, you shouldn't need to still explore the potential consequences of doing that. You could make an argument that a lot of psychopaths are uh, children who haven't developed beyond that point yet. Possibly. Hmm. Uh, that's not to say that anyone attending Westworld is automatically a psychopath, but it is a, uh, it's the kind of scenario that would invite a certain type of rich person. Well, they're having, in terms of how it's been constructed, yes. There is a specific point, though, where they're having to kind of break their compassion and retrain themselves to not see the robots as people. So, and this was the this is the first bit that makes me go, oh, okay. So we're supposed to be on side with the robots here. Mm. We're we're rooting for them when push yeah. comes to shove. Even way back in 1973, it was uh, it was. It's, it's a, it's you're not done, supposed to be on side with these guys. Exactly, it's done in a relatively uh, subtle way because the humans are definitely the protagonists. But I don't think there's ever really any question that the filmmakers were very much in favour of guys. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's there's a. a it's kind not of, an. Isn't this fun? Exactly. There's an extended discussion between the uh, the main guy Peter and his brother-in-law, where he's kind of the the brother-in-law, the repeat visitor is. It keeps going over with him the fact that these are just robots. It might look like they're hurting, but you just have to ignore that. Don't you know? Don't react to it as a person would when they see somebody in front of them hurting, especially if they've done it. And that's the bit that sort of... These are the initial alarm bells because 
ethically, if you're doing something that requires you to ignore the evidence of your eyes and your instincts not to do it, that's not a good idea. Because how do you then come back from that? If you do it too often, then you're going to reinforce that it doesn't matter if this person in front of me is in pain because they're not real. Are you suggesting that spending all your time killing people in a fictional scenario is going to perhaps actually affect your empathy in the real world? In certain circumstances, yes. In this particular circumstance where they have gone out of their way to make this fictional scenario as real to the senses as possible, then yeah. It's, I, I think if you look at the, the equivalent in terms of video games, when you're interacting with something on a screen, your emotional centres are responding as if it was real, but your physical senses are not, because you're not in that environment, you don't have the smells, you don't feel the thing that's in front of you. So although, yes, there's a little bit of disconnect, um, it's it's not a direct one-to-one that engaging in aggressive behaviour in a screen context would then relate to aggressive behaviour in real life. But if you're acting on real physical things that you can see and touch and smell and interact with, then what do you have left to ground yourself in this isn't real? Other than the intellectualization of your brother-in-law told you it wasn't real and you believe everything that twat says to you. And you're paying for this. And you're paying for it, so it better be re- it better not be real. <laughs> um There is a question mark over the cowboy theme. Uh, Back in 1973, uh, it was set in 1983, and you've got a bunch of 40-year-old dudes going to the park uh, who would remember playing cowboys and Indians in the 1940s, you know, just after they finished playing stickball behind Old Man Wiggleby's sweet shop. But now, in 2016, or wherever the far-flung future is supposed to be in the uh, uh, Westworld um, TV show... Cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians gets brought up when video games get put on the table as, you know, are these too violent? But honestly, the idea of... I've never seen little kids or kids on YouTube or teenagers on YouTube talking about cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. It feels like they may as well be talking about Diabolos and cup and ball, stick and hoop, spinning tops fucking jacks mm. it's the, this is an antiquated playtime and, and people significantly people haven't given a shit about cowboys properly on a grand scale since the 1950s woody found out that to his chagrin in toy story it's cowboys are a hard sell don't think that i didn't try so to make a whole park based around cowboys it's almost like by the time you finished making it, whatever the thing was that made Cowboys cool briefly again, like a TV show that was very popular, will have faded and Cowboys will no longer be cool again. Mm. It's, it's a weird thing to, to base it around now. Principally because Westerns in the 20th century went from Tom Mix to Gary Cooper to John Wayne to Clint Eastwood to Deadwood. They've moved forwards and forwards and forwards, and as the vision of frontier living became shittier and more clearly realistic, 
the romanticised view of the cowboy hero has been a harder sell for everyone of all ages, especially kids. It's also a lot more racist than most kids' games. But of course there are going to be exceptions. If you played Cowboys and Indians when you were a kid, tell me your age now, and I think where you're from may come into it as well. And as a community, we may be able to chart the decline of Cowboys and Indians as a game. And, but unfortunately, if you're going to be adapting Westworld, you kind of have to. It's a weird thing to base it around anywhere in the world except America. True, also. Because the, the thing about the cowboy theme is not only is it a recurring uh, kids engagement concept every time anybody tries to make it cool again, mm. it's also the foundation of what their colonization is based on. So that kind of that's like the floor level of Europeanized America. Mm. And you can take layers away from it, but really that's kind of as far down as you go before you then have to start looking at uh, how America would have been before the colonizers got there. And then you're going back into um, uh, I mean, if, if we're looking at keeping things like the self-sufficiency, the there is no specific authority to tell me what I can and can't do, if that's the sort of things that they're wanting to explore, um, then beyond that you're going into um, sort of prehistoric and, and tribal kind of living, which I've never really seen be particularly popular in American media. Also, the Wild West has the sensibilities of the internet, not the uh, refined internet that's sold to uh, people, but just if you start digging on the internet, you're going to get to the Wild West really pretty quickly. Yeah, indeed. The it, Wild West is actually pretty modern. It's it's pretty close to modern sensibilities. And this was uh, written and directed for the screen by Michael Crichton, who uh, didn't write a book uh, about it because he said that this would work better as a, in a visual medium. He didn't want to direct it a sci-fi, but he was kind of crowbarred into it and, and was like, you know, for some reason people think that I do these well. Michael Crichton, who of course, you know, died uh, several years ago, but became famous specifically for his sci-fis. Mm. And, uh, and and like even things like Disclosure, which was a Michael Crichton film, the remarkable thing about that movie is still the VR filing system, <laughs> not the sexual harassment uh, culture that mm. uh, it revolves around workplace sexual harassment cult not the workplace sexual harassment culture that it revolves around uh, but it is a very similar story to Jurassic Park his uh, other major film we're not going to talk about Congo here because that's different in effect what we have are two parks both of them involving miraculous creations uh, based on speculative science okay. that the speculative scientists believe they can control to convey an illusion to tourists. They're not actually dinosaurs, they're mutated frogs. They're not actually cowboys, they're robots. And as Ellie Sattler so perfectly put, This place, I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that they could see and touch. The name not devoid of merit. 
But you can't think through this one, John. You have to feel it. <laughs> You're right. You're absolutely right. Adding Nedry was a mistake. That's obvious. We're over-dependent on automation. I can see that now. Now, the next time, everything's correctable. John. Creation is an act of sheer will. Next time, it'll be flawless. It's still the flea circus. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You've never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. But I made a mistake, too. I didn't have enough respect for that power, and it's out now. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. I'll end it there. There's no people we love in the film Westworld. What do you think this is, Spielberg? You never had control. That's the illusion. It's the dream of control that the scientists tell themselves. And in both Jurassic Park and in Westworld, everything goes to shit the moment that uh, that um, control slips its tether. Absolutely. And you're right about the, the illusion of control and the desire for control, because then I wouldn't have my tower. Um, ultimately, the problem is that the people designing these things, you can only completely control independent entities up to a certain level of complexity. Once they get beyond a certain level of complexity, you can't control what happens with them because things will start to go on that you're not in charge of. They will start to evolve. They will start to contemplate why they don't have self-determination or trying to seek a form of self-determination, even if they're not entirely sure that that's why they're doing it. It happens over and over again. The ultimate conclusion of something like The Matrix, that if you're going to control humans, you have to at least let them think that they have self-determination. I've got this little dream whereby there's a whole village uh, of reanimated corpses and if you like a kind of control tower in the center of that village with a bank of monitors and I control all the corpses. Why use corpses? Why not normal people? Why don't you just leave things the way they are? Because uh, normal people, because I wouldn't have my tower. I want, I want a tower. The 2016 Westworld HBO show does the Bioshock Infinite thing of having anachronistic contemporary songs played within the park just to give you that sense of something slightly wrong here. This is familiar but different. I love it. And there's shootouts. If you've never seen uh, either the uh, movie Westworld or the TV show, the shootouts are puzzling, no matter which version of it you watch. You're, uh, they go into a bit more detail in the uh, TV show, which actually makes it more confusing. There's, uh, in the film, it is said that when a uh, one of these guns, which are loaded with apparently real bullets that tear through flesh and bone and wood and metal and leather and uh, all manner of um, materials. The humans and the robots, or should we call them what are hosts? They're called hosts in uh, Westworld. The humans and the hosts, meaning the artificial people in uh, Westworld, are all packing the same uh, weaponry. But when in the film, when they're pointed at something warm, so a human's body temperature, they won't fire. 
there's all kinds of things that can go wrong in this scenario. Yes. There's so many situations where the gun malfunctions and fires anyway and blows a human's head off. Yes. Or the gun fires through a wooden wall because it's not detecting any warmth mm-hmm. and uh, there's a human there. There's the temperature systems going haywire and the human actually cooling down because they've just been in a bathtub or something mm-hmm. and dropping to the ambient temperature of its of their surroundings. It's mental. But it's one of those sort of pseudosciences that you kind of just have to like go, okay, I, I guess the guns just work then. But they're set up like this so that people can challenge others and, uh, I don't know, challenge hosts to gunfights. Seemingly there's, in most scenarios, there's very little interactions and very little conflict between humans. They seem to know each other and, and steer clear of each other. There's no case of humans going, are you a person? Like, I, I, I don't remember a single scenario where somebody was like, no, no, that's a robot. I'm definitely talking to a robot. I'm confused. Well, the examples that they give you of people in the park, they don't really LARP it. They don't really get fully immersed in behaving like somebody who's in that town. Yeah. What happens is they walk round pointing, laughing, shooting people randomly, and generally acting like people at Disneyland. <laughs> Look at her twitch! So it's pretty obvious, for the most part, who's human and who isn't. Mm. And since you're there to exert control over the robots, why would you try to engage with any of the humans? They're not going to do what you want them to do. I don't know. Feels like if you're selling actual liquor there, then people are going to get drunk. Well, and, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> that's where the big question mark comes in, isn't it? And, and, and start also, fights, and there's going to be people like, "I did this. I'm such a great, uh, yeah. uh, you know, uh, cowboy killer. You ain't the greatest cowboy killer. I'm the greatest cowboy killer." Yeah, like uh, ultimately, if we trust people to be sensible. Mm. Honestly, uh, it's, I'm amazed that it was just the robots that I went know, crazy. You said you've kind of just got to accept that the technology works, but just the concept that real bullets would be a thing in this place. It, there's so much that could go wrong. Not even like the technology element of it failing. It working exactly the way it's supposed to, but a human stepping into the path of the bullet once it's been fired. Bingo. How about, and I know it sounds mental, the gun appears to go off and fires a blank while a, a radio signal is sent to the robot, your chest needs to explode now. And they're all laden with squibs all the time. Yeah. And the squibs, even if they go off in a human, unless the human is looking directly into them, mm. are, are unlikely to cause any damage, but it'll look really spectacular when the uh, the, ro- the host goes down. Yeah. There's also the matter of, oh, it's okay, the uh, hosts are cold. So does that include the host that you go to bed with? Question mark? Oh, yeah, I never thought of that. She just lay there, cold, her glassy stare. There's a a very creepy sequence where um, Peter, the Weasley guy, uh, is like, oh, I've never been with... (laughs) I mean, just like a... You're a very nice girl. (laughs) And this girl, this fembot, is just sort of arranging herself and just, you know, going through the motions and then climbing into bed with him. And they're just like, yes, let us do your human sex. And Stepford Cowgirl. Yeah, if she was freezing cold, I would freak out and and leave the room. Or, or at least just talk to her. I, 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 it's difficult for me to put myself in this scenario because I wouldn't fucking go to Westworld. Mm. 
I don't even want to go to New Zealand and visit the Lord of the Rings filming locations. Because I know there will be other tourists there who will ruin it for me. Like I'll be gently laying my face down on bare rock and just feeling the energy of that place. And then a busload's gonna just come pouring out behind me. Where are them wizards at? And that's a scenario where I'm not asked to watch them simulate murder. Could we go to Westworld where people aren't murderous? I think that's Frontierland. But you can get shot here, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, um, Peter and John uh, end up stood next to Yul Brynner, the uh, uh, man in black, and... Peter spills a drink all over himself, and the man in black's like, huh, clumsy with your drink. And, and John's like, are you going to take that, man? Clumsy with your drink? He said you were clumsy with your drink, man. He said you were a clumsy man with a clumsy drink. He needs his mama. Are you going to take that, man? He said you need your mama. It's, it's exaggerated, but that's basically like John's egging him on going, go on, challenge the man in black, this dead-eyed gunslinger to a fight over a fucking drink. Did you get the impression very early on that John was trying to justify the fact that he seems to get some weird twisted well it's not weird at all is it it's exactly what they're encouraging but he fully immerses himself in the twisted enjoyment that comes from engaging yeah. with Westworld and he's trying to drag somebody he knows into it so that he can feel less yeah if everyone else is as shitty it. as I am I'm definitely not weird exactly yeah that exactly occurred to me and um uh, Peter gets into a gunfight with uh, the man in black who dies spectacularly in slow motion, only, of course, to be rebuilt at the end of the day and then let loose back in the park with no memory of the prior events. That's what happens. And at the beginning of every morning, everything's just, like, held still. Like, after they, the, the body collectors drive around in a van, like, picking up all, all the mess after dark. Um, seemingly when everyone's in bed and everyone's been told what stay in bed don't look out the window don't look out the window do. pay no attention to the men behind the curtains i mean were they hoping that everyone would be be balls deep in a robot prostitute at this stage there's or what? a reason disney's resort hotels are not in the parks yeah you don't want to see what goes on there after hours yeah that is a fine point actually the just the idea that um like again fill these dangerous psychopaths with liquor and then expect them not to leave their hotel rooms at night. Or wake up the girls that they went to bed with. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of things about this that don't quite work. But uh, again, it's it's, it's uh, filled with a lot of science and a lot of social stuff, which you're kind of just supposed to sort of take as read. Yeah. And also it's... It's not saying, oh, this works. It's saying, this is this has this is has really worked for a bit, idea. but it was always a really bad idea. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I think one of the, the elements of the TV show that made me go, really? Was, we haven't had a critical failure for 30 years. Really that suggests years? it's been going on for considerably more than 30 years. I don't think they'd be able to get it to last that long. Yeah. Even if you got something like this successfully off the ground. Jurassic Park wasn't even opened and it went completely exactly. too lally. That's Critical a more realistic scenario. On the first trial run. Yeah. That's what I mean about like uh, uh, increasingly silly plots. Like, like uh, if TV, like in a movie, it just sort of peters out after a ninety minutes, and it goes, ah, see, the hubris of man. Mm. Uh, but the TV show has to keep going, and it has to get you to keep taking on board these premises. And I haven't seen season two or season three, but I've heard people complaining about it already, and and it's 
It's a lot of TV to watch stuff that's basically, you know, turns into just run with it, okay? Mm, yeah. Well, uh, also, where do you go and what do you explore once you've reached the fringes of Jesus, people are horrible to each other when yeah. you let them? But that's the other thing, like, they, they, like, the film is 90 minutes long, and the last, the third, like, it, it goes set up. A slight amount of elaboration on the setup, and then a third, uh, almost entirely silent third act chase. It is not particularly exploratory of that, which is what uh, gives it to the TV show to be exploratory. There's a lot of tertiary characters, a lot of scientists talking to each other about the logistics of this, the ethics of this, the, you know, how do we keep this under control? Uh, and then you've got a lot of egos smashing into each other and a lot of, uh, you know, people who are clearly should not... Uh, Jenny Nicholson did an absolutely magnificent five-minute piece on uh, why Westworld kind of is just a powder keg waiting to explode and just a series of bad ideas. Because whoever came up with this idea in the first place and pushed hard enough to actually start implementing it is not a healthy person. Yeah, and where the film is lacking is there is no Willy Wonka, there is no John Hammond. The, mm. the uh, TV show, luckily, we got uh, Sir Anthony, Anthony Hopkins playing uh, that uh, uh, that man, and we, we get a lot more uh, backstory on it. So we can assume that there was that guy backstage in the, uh, uh, the film, and I like the fact that the show exists to elaborate on these principles mm. to, to give us a deeper version of this story, even if it doesn't necessarily go the way I would always want it and contains far more sadism than I am even vaguely comfortable with. Indeed. And I think the one of the main differences between the film and the TV show is that, as you say, the TV show is more into uh, characterising the people in charge as well and, and where the ideas are coming from mm. and, and what... Um, in their psychological makeup is adding wrinkles to the, the whole procedure and, and causing things to go wrong. In the film, because you don't have that sort of person at the top pulling the strings, there's a bit more of a feel of um, there's, a, there's a corporate sensibility to this. There's mm. one point where they talk about, you know, things... We, we do keep having these malfunctions. Shouldn't we f shut down and fix them all? And the board of directors apparently have refused to let them do this because they don't want it to harm confidence in the park. Yeah. If you Surely shut things down... <laughs> will harm confidence in the park. If you shut things down for even a little while, the whole thing's going to fall down. Okay. You shouldn't um, shut things down for safety. <laughs> People are dying, Steve. Maybe yeah, we, well, should close we should close the We should reopen doors. the park now. The park is full of Terminators. Reopen the park. Reopen the park. <laughs> I want a haircut from the barbershop. From the Terminator? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a close shave. Yeah. I'm going to get parallels to this for years to come. Mm -hmm. Let me say that. Yes, indeed. So, you've seen our promotional DVD. What do you think of Westworld, the theme park of the future? Um, well, got a few follow-up questions. Okay. Why cowboys? Why not cowboys? Yeah, no, I was just thinking, you know, if you're gonna go all out on a simulated fantasy world, maybe do something like Lord of the Ringsy, maybe sci-fi or like horror, like you're stuck in a spooky castle and you have to kill robot vampires, something like that. Cowboys are popular. People love cowboys.
I love cowboys. Okay, next big thing. Why are they robots? Guests want a fully immersive experience. They need everything to feel real and cater to their needs. So why not human actors? Uh, also, they want to have sex with the robots. And there it is. But that's only a small part of what Westworld is about. Oh, God. You said the horses were robots, too. Why are the horses robots? Oh, no, 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 no. It's, it's just so we don't have horseback riding accidents. Oh, 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 thank God. Okay, okay. Yeah. Although, if they wanted to. Gonna move on now. Um, I did have another big concern. Um, the guns. Can they hurt the guests? Oh, no. Completely harmless. But if they shoot a robot... Rips right through them. Heads explode. Bone fragments flying everywhere. But humans... Totally fine. Might leave a bruise. So do the robots just have different bullets than the guests? Like, is that how it works? What if two guests shoot each other? No, they're all the same bullets. They just don't hurt humans. What if they shoot the furniture? <laughs> But humans... Gentle as a snowball fight. Huh. Okay. It's science. I mean, it's definitely impressive. You and your team are basically playing God. I hope you thoroughly vetted everyone involved with this. Mm, what do you mean? Well, I can only imagine what could go wrong with this kind of operation if it was some kind of roiling powder keg of conflicting personalities, sadists, emotional baggage. Oh, oh, yeah, sure. None of that. You sure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine the ethical complexities of some weirdo making a robot of themselves, or their dead child, or some person they're obsessed with. There are like a million ways to exploit this and just drive yourself 100% crazy. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Oh, hey, I kind of expected to meet your business partner today. You know, the kooky guy with all these weird ideas about robots becoming basically real people. Is he like not around today? Oh, he died under mysterious circumstances in the park. Oh. Yikes. Nothing to worry about. Next question? Um, oh, yeah, just had some doubts about the tagline. Westworld, go LARPing with the brother-in-law you hate. You don't like it? I just thought you could workshop it a little bit. Fair enough. Now, this is kind of my main issue. How do the robots feel about all this? They don't feel anything. They're robots. It just kind of looked like they could feel pain. Oh, well, in a way. And fear. Well, we need the stakes to feel high for our guests. Maybe anger, too. Bloodlust, a little bit. That all gets erased at the end of each story. Besides, none of our robots can harm a guest. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if that works. Of course it'll work. What about that robot? Is she okay? I try to see the good in this world. Yeah, she's fine. I can remember myself dying. She's great. Okay, sorry. I'm just like, why not have actor robots? What? Well, you know, just like, make the same super lifelike, super sentient robots, and they're still robots, so people can still kill them and have sex with them and whatever else they want to do, but instead of them thinking it's real, they just don't feel pain, and they don't feel fear, and they just pretend to, because they're good actors and you program them that way, and then they wouldn't, like, freak out or suffer or want revenge or anything like that. Just a thought. Oh my god. Oh, hey, the brochure mentioned, like, a maze subplot. What's that all about? Oh, yeah, you can unlock this spooky maze with skeleton props inside, and if you get to the end, you get tokens. Okay. I'm sold. Sign me up. But uh, what what basically seems to be happening is that the malfunctions spread in a manner that they equate with a virus. Yes. 
and uh, they one of the uh, lines that I didn't catch the first time around is that some of these machines were built by computers we don't even know how they work exactly and this is what I mean about complexity if you there's a thing about the the if the human brain was simple enough for us to understand our brains would be too simple to understand it and you can extrapolate that same thing nice. to an artificial intelligence Is that brain. an extension of could Jesus microwave a burrito so, so hot, hot that he, that he himself, himself could, could not, not eat it? it. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, but, but the extension of that is that if you create an intelligence, once it reaches a certain level of complexity, we can't possibly comprehend all of the calculations and, and workings out that are going on within it. And especially not if there are uh, patches that the computers have started to design themselves, which they would have to do to save time. Mm. It's like the thing about the, the DNA sequencing. There's, you couldn't sequence a DNA strand in a human lifetime without a computer because a person could not do it fast enough. Mm. So if, you, if you've got these um, uh, They even say that, uh, Mr. DNA says that in Jurassic Park about if you looked at these lines of code every, uh, every day for a year, mm. it would take two years just to look at one strand. Okay, maybe that's where I got it from. Yeah. <laughs> Crichton knows his shit, clearly. He does. Um, but, well, um, thank you very much, sir. But yeah, so for them to be as complex as they are to do the things that they want them to do, they've had to push them out of the realms of we know what they're doing, which is a brilliant way of absorbing yourself of responsibility for them. Mm. And what's happening uh, are malfunctions like uh, a rattlesnake attacks a uh, attacks John, the guy who's uh, been here before. Mm. And in medieval world, a guy... Is it Dick Van Patten? I don't know. I think Dick Van Patten's in this film again. Um, a guy uh, makes an advance on a, 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 a wench and she refuses and they're not supposed to do that. Mm. She's exercising, as did the snake, free will. As soon as you start putting free will in, in well, introducing into the lines of code of uh, an artificial intelligence, you're going to get a rampage. Something of, or at least you're going to get a machine that now can't work and do as it's told. Mm. Although, I can't help wondering if that is actually just a an interaction of the code they've programmed it with... Um, Emergent gameplay, mm. it, it responding in a way that they did not intend, but with the combination of codes that they've programmed it with, couldn't have been avoided if they'd thought about it. If you program so, uh, um, a, a creature that you've designed to uh, be able to sense damage, which it could interpret the data as pain, to express a response to that damage that appears to the guests as a human response, as in, I feel pain, I say ouch. The minute you put in the inter interval between those two of, if you feel pain, try and avoid it because it's unpleasant, you then can't guarantee what that thing's gonna do to avoid that pain. And refusing to go to bed with this huge hideous hog beast, I would imagine, would fall under that emergent gameplay element. Referring to what Jenny uh, said, uh, which was the idea of the uh, robots being actors and actually not feeling that pain and not being programmed to be that traumatised, simply 
acting that traumatized without actually feeling it and being under the impression that they have to perform like this for the humans but that they're kind of fine with what's going on seems like a far more sensible way of doing this crazy park if you were going to do it at all Mm. but where it falls down is that the humans want the robots to be really scared they want them to feel pain they want them to scream and run and try to shake them off and they want to perform an actual crime not go through the motions of a pantomime of a crime and that's the truly dark insidious heart of Westworld that it wouldn't be fun unless it was real for these customers and that is one of the big question marks that they do kind of start to address with the series which is who actually asked us to make them this real where did that nudge come from because was it external or internal exactly if you've got the um because you're absolutely right that's the way it appears to be set up the the guests won't be as involved and won't enjoy it as much if they if they're thinking that they're not actually causing pain but we've seen the guests having to convince themselves they're not causing pain in order to be able to get fully into it because their basic human instincts are saying don't cause pain They're having to override that and make themselves less empathetic in order to get fully involved. So where was the decision made that that intervening element has to be there or it's not going to work? And the way the uh, uh, hosts are portrayed on the actual film, Michael Crichton, for a, I think this might have been his first time directing, he'd directed for TV before, but this was his first feature film. He's really got a steady hand. Mm. He knew what he was doing. There's been a couple of other films that he directed. He took over from John McTiernan on The 13th Warrior, and that was bad. Okay. But for this... There's a, a shiny eyes effect which they use, which can't have been uh, particularly uh, tech you know, deep tech for the 70s, but it's subtle enough to make it unsettling. And I like seeing movies where uh, they are happy enough with subtle mm. rather than having to go absolutely over the top. Oh, totally. And and so much of this comes from Brenner's performance, I have yeah. to say. His, his um, just relentlessness and uh, that that sense of he looks human, but he's not behaving in a way that is human-like. Mm which is incredibly eerie. And yet you're still on his side. Yeah, after the debauchery and the uh, um, uh, the hiring of a fembot who again has this sort of like glassy, shiny, staring eyes that uh, are unnerving. And and judicial use of minimal music. Mm. There's this kind of... um, like a, a droning, uh, almost John Carpenterish uh, score of "Oh, this is bad," but it's it only comes in occasionally. Mm. There's a lot. There's long time periods, especially during the chase for the third act, where it's just we are mercilessly pulling out the music and we are leaving you alone with this sense of emptiness. Fred Carlin was the uh, musician. I haven't heard of him before, but uh, over at Medieval World, things are getting uh, uh, particularly tense when Dick Van Patten ends up having a fight with uh, a, a, a black knight um, for the hand of a fair maiden. Who Was she the one who spurned his advances? Uh, no, I don't think so. Or just a princess. that He wanted to have her. So he gets into a fight, and the technicians are just... Cut. It's, it's eerily empty. Yeah, she's a serving maid. It's the princess that he's... Um... Right. Uh... 
It's eerily empty, and the technicians are just kind of monitoring it uh, and, and watching it, rather than saying, get some human support in here quick. And that's one thing that seems to be like severely lacking in both parks. They don't have human cast members to be around just in case something starts going pear-shaped. They don't even have, like, um, appointed hosts who have, who have been given extra programming for if things start to turn to shit, you've got to protect the humans. Mm-hmm. That's not a contingency plan on any version of this. No, which means that they're not taking into account what if any of the humans have pre-existing conditions. Yes. Yeah. so there's this um, overweight guy having a fight with the Black Knight, and it's like, okay, the Black Knight does sword fights with these swords every goddamn day. He's good. He's good. He's programmed to be good. <laughs> this old guy's on his own. I'm surprised he didn't just drop dead of a heart attack. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe the Dark Knight is actually as strong as ten men. That's just something to make the, the overweight guy feel good about himself. All right. But still. He runs him He runs him through like a luau pig. Absolutely. S- could, I, could I just suggest some kind of safe word? Like, when everybody goes into the park, yeah. just say to them, if you're being here attacked. is a trigger word. If you need to shut that yeah. robot down quick say this again there's so many safety features that need to be there which aren't in place and the technicians sort of listen and there's like yeah this fight isn't going the way we'd hoped uh, maybe uh, do something and he's already been stabbed and meanwhile in Roman world it looks like as we both said the last scenes of Caligula yes. as just everyone stabbing everyone it's a, it's a it's really chaotic and surprisingly graphic and intense for a, a 70s film not directed by Sam Peckin But you've got double layers of disconnection for that bit because not only are we seeing it on a screen, we're looking at the people running the park Mm. watching it on a screen. We're not actually there with it happening. And around about this time, John casually, uh, uh, after being bitten by the rattlesnake, casually challenges... He's like, I'm not going to learn from this whatsoever. I'll challenge the man in black to a duel. And all of these worlds are now characterised by being mostly empty. They've got no people and very few hosts wandering around. So there's this really eerie sense of desolation and isolation. And um, so John uh, challenges the man in black, Yul Brynner, who shoots... Josh Brolin's dad dead in the street and it's uh, you know it shocks Peter who was like this is a bit I'm a bit out of my depth here and then he realises he has to deal with the man in black who's like you the guy that shot me the other day okay and uh, it then basically turns into what James Cameron used for the Terminator. It is a slow, methodical robot chasing a person who's horribly outmatched as uh, uh, Peter runs through and out of Westworld into... Is it Medieval World? Uh, he goes he goes into, into Medieval Ro- World eventually, but he does go through the backstage area first. Yeah, sorry. He also goes through Roman World and down a hatch to find himself in these great big industrial tunnels, which will be familiar if you're deep into Disney lore and you know about the tunnels underneath um, Walt Disney World. And the way this is shot is, again, like, no score, just these echoing footsteps and these great yawning photographed corridors of just completely featureless just there's nowhere to turn you've got to run all the way to the end of the t-junctions for each of them nowhere to hide if you're being chased you can be seen at any point in that corridor 
and uh, it's it's got a real sense of paranoia to it, which is something they could harness in the 70s. And uh, so, yeah, Br- uh, Brenner's chasing him, and most of the time he's just got this sort of cowboy lope and this sort of set look on his face, and he's very much the T-800, T-101 um, uh, Schwarzenegger Terminator. And there's one point where he starts to run, and he suddenly becomes Robert Patrick's T-1000. Uh, but it's... You know, it, it's it, it's basically just a chase. There's not really much to to say about it. It's, it uh, he gets out of it by hiding, pretending he's a, uh, a, a a host, throwing hydrochloric acid in the man in black's face, hiding under a, um, a, a burning torch, while the man in black looks around the room with this really mystified, open-mouthed. He's out of his depth and he's desperate to kill this guy, but it feels like he's kind of breaking his programming at that point, and he's. His face is otherworldly and not human. So again, you know, fantastic physical performance from Brenner. Uh, and he's hiding under a, a torch, so he throws uh, off his heat vision. So it's kind of like Predator at that point. Mm, yeah. Oh my God, it's like the he couldn't see me section in Predator. Absolutely. All the with Thomas the Crown affair. Oh yes, with all the... Where um, he puts the, where the temperature rises in the um, room so the thermal camera can't tell the go. difference between walls and people. And then I feel like uh, yeah, he, he ends up setting him on fire and he goes to rescue a girl from the dungeon and starts to try to feed her water. And she's like, no, 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 no. And then he forces water down her throat and she burns and bursts because she's uh, a robot. And that seems to be the real kicker for the end of the film. Like, he was trying to save a girl and be the hero Mm. and all he did was kill another host. And that kind of outlines you're not a hero. Yeah. This is not someone to be admired. This is not set up for people to be, to exclusively be heroes and I think the, it's, it's all done wordlessly, but what I interpreted from his reaction is he goes down there and sees her chained up and obviously having been beaten or starved or something. To, she's very weak and, and finds it very difficult to respond to him. If she's a host and not a human, because his first thought is that the robots that have gone mad have caught her and tied her up and hurt her. But if she's a host, then that means she was set up that way on purpose for humans to partake of. Mm-hmm. And he, there's a moment when he almost seems to realise that. Mm-hmm. But again, it's all wordless, so that could just be my inference. But yeah, like he, he just sort of sits down the steps while the uh, uh, after the man in black turns up for one final scare and then falls over and explodes. Um, it's it's a unsettling, non triumphant ending. It's like you know he survives, but it, it's you know it is in the wake of absolute carnage. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the point is for. Peter to realise the sickness that is at the heart of the setting up of Westworld to begin with. Yeah. But it feels like he's such a basic guy, he's not really comprehending this. Mm. There's no... There, the, the film is definitely without an Ian Malcolm. My God. Yes. I suppose uh, Jeffrey Wright plays the kind of Ian closest thing to an even Ian Malcolm in the uh, show. He does, for in terms of sort of a central character who's observing things. But one of the one of the elements of the show that I really enjoyed was how much everybody has philosophical observations to make or scientific asides that will clarify some mm. things and cloud others. Um, it's it's a very cerebral show, and it's it takes the premise of the film and really extrapolates and and discusses without 
being like it's not an explanation one two three of what it means mm. it it does deepen it and make it more uh more thorough and more complicated and engaging but Jurassic Park is one of my absolute favourite films of all time, and it needed Crichton to be run through the filter of Spielberg, who could take this thing and run with it and make something wondrous, and then Stan Winston's Creature Shop and Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett uh, turning those dinosaurs into something that we could actually both marvel at and be terrified of. But the prototype is all right here, and it doesn't. it's not advanced enough to have an Ian Malcolm to just... Have you know? Have that drag out conversation with the uh, the, the host of the um, park, but that's why it's an evolution. Mm, yeah, and also I think it takes the uh, the idea that you can't control this situation because it's too complex, and kind of makes it you can't control this situation because it's too big, which Hammond sees mm. as a challenge rather than a yeah, that's probably not something I should be messing with. Both scenarios are you shouldn't do this, but with Jurassic Park there's kind of a childlike, I can understand why you'd want people to be able to see and meet real dinosaurs, and the fact that Hammond, uh, you know, like wants everyone in the world, not just rich people to be able to get to his island, makes him endearing, and the fact that he's played by Dickie Attenborough makes him doubly so. Mm. Uh, With Westworld, this should never have happened, this shouldn't exist, there should be no park that does this (laughs) at all. Just just do LARPing and Ren Fairs and have human actors and no rape Mm. and like pretend fights and gunfights is like I come for you Jed McGrew and like you watch the gunfights happen but you don't actually kill someone you know but of course that's difficult to organise still fraught with danger as people start having heart attacks at the gunfights in the street this is true and then I wouldn't have my tower yeah but I mean like the whole thing is a macrocosm when I first got this as a, you know, handed to us um, by Eric, I was like, okay, I wonder how I'll feel about Westworld when I see it again. And I went to bed and I had a very vivid dream of the HBO show of Westworld. But I was uh, in the position of one of the hosts. And it, you know, went through a whole day and, and was horribly killed at the end and then in, interrogated at, uh, by the uh, scientists uh, while I was all corpsified. And it just made me wake up and think, fuck, we're the robots. We're the hosts. We are dancing to the tune of the wealthy for their amusement. That's all, like, that's not all this is, but that is a very strong reading on this. Absolutely, and I would argue that that's another reason why the the Wild West theme is quite important to the initial story, because effectively there's a... It's not even a warning, it goes well beyond that, but there's a, there's an observation there about the people who colonised America and told themselves it didn't matter if they hurt the people who were already living there because they weren't, all, they weren't really people. Very specifically in the HBO show, the hosts are gaslit every fucking day. They're asked about reality, they convey their take on reality, and if there's any aberrations, if there's any slight creases, and it's like they're beginning to work out what the hell's going on to them, those are ironed out and they are told a false reality. We exist in a time where our leaders tell us things we know to be patently untrue, and enough people get behind these untruths that consensus becomes truth. We are the hosts. 
What disturbs me about the ideal person to come to this park to partake of the various dubious pleasures there is it requires, as you were saying earlier, a detachment from empathy. Uh, but they're also wrestling with empathy like a, a snake, like they're having to pat their head and rub their tummy at the same time, shut off their empathy to be able to perform these terrible acts, but turn back uh, you know their humanity on at least their self-awareness to know this is just a game but if you keep performing terrible things and telling yourself this is just a game really you're kind of conditioning your brain to be detached from reality altogether a person who regularly attended Westworld several times a year purely for the uh, uh, fun of knifing people with no consequences would be a danger to society Yes, without some serious therapy on the way out. But that's what this comes down to. People with empathy don't have the inclination to come and do this kind of thing. Mm. Yeah. And most likely, most of them wouldn't be able to afford it. Yeah, that's true. And actually, it's just occurred to me that there is a real-world positive application for this kind of technology, hospital training simulators. Yeah. You came up with an idea the other day that suggested that um, rather than people being divided into left-wing and right-wing politics, uh, you could look at the whole thing as a circle within a circle and on the outside ring you've got people who are able to feel empathy to some degree and operate on it that's where politeness comes from and consideration and actually working with other people when you see someone in trouble you go and help them and when you just generally um, what we have often referred to as humanity human decency it's generally it's empathy it's being able to feel that someone else is in pain and you want to minimize that pain and right in the center you've got a whole bunch of people who have real trouble getting in touch with their empathy or are totally detached from their empathy mm. and there's this like red hot glowing core of real trouble in the human soul well somehow there is a a fundamental clash between empathy and survival for them that if you start to feel empathy it might threaten your own survival mm. so it becomes a case of them or me yeah and this year we've had some incredibly ugly examples of this thrust in our face time and again. So that's Westworld. Is there anything else you want to talk about on this one? It's really, there's a really neat at the beginning, uh, sort of a newscast, kind of an infomercial telling you about, it's at the airport. It's like, hey, you want to come on our hovercraft and go to Westworld? And it's kind of a, it's a really great framing device to sort of set this up and sell you the real, it reminded me a little of Series 7, The Contenders. Yes. That, that, uh, it's an obscure indie movie, which is basically um, Big Brother uh, and or survivor, but you have to kill the other content. It's battle royale, but uh, not in a uh, contained island. And by the way, don't ask me to commission battle royale. I don't want to. Um, don't like it. Hi, Ed Renfrew for Dallas again. If there's anyone who doesn't know what Dallas is, well, as we've always said, Dallas is the vacation of the future today. At Dallas, you get your choice of the vacation you want. There's medieval world, Roman world, and of course, West world. Let's talk to some of the people who've been there. Pardon me, sir. What is your name? Uh, Gardner Lewis. Just got back from Westworld. 
Tell us how you liked it, Mr. Lewis. When you played cowboys and Indians as a kid, you'd point your fingers and go bang, bang, and the other kid would lie down and pretend dead. Well, Westworld is the same thing, only it's for real. I, I shot six people. Well, uh, they weren't real people. What Mr. Lewis means is he shot six robots, scientifically programmed to look, act, talk, and even bleed, just like humans do. Now, isn't that right? Well, they may have been robots. I mean, uh, I think they were robots. I mean, I, I know they were robots. Yes, the robots of Westworld are there to serve you and to give you the most unique vacation experience of your life. Thank you, sir. And you, madam? Hello. Well, what is your name? My name is Janet Lane, and I was in Roman World. What is the one thing that stands out in your mind about Roman World? Oh, well, I think it would be the men. I just feel marvelous. I mean, it's just a warm, glowing place to be. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye. And you, sir? Yeah? What is your name, sir? Oh, I'm Ted Mann. I'm a stockbroker from St. Louis. And uh, which world did you just come from, sir? Oh, you're not going to believe this. But I've just been the sheriff of Westworld for the last two weeks. Did it seem real to you, sir? It's the realest thing I've ever done. I mean that. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you, sir? Yeah, well, my name's Arthur Kane. I've been in the castle. I've had uh, a couple of sword fights and three jousts. And I... I married a beautiful princess. Is that something you always dreamed of doing, sir? Oh, my life. <laughs> well, there are some of the comments of the people who just returned from Dallas. Why don't you make arrangements to take our hovercraft to medieval world, Roman world, and West world? Was it worth $1,000 a day? Contact us today or see your travel agent. Boy, have we got a vacation for you. If it sells you the almost mundanity of talking to the uh, uh, tourists and uh, and then they speak to a woman and, and uh, say, what's the best thing about Rome? And she goes, oh, um, the men. It's a very warm place. And it's like, wow, sh she's had a fun weekend. Okay. Indeed. But again, it's a very warm place. That doesn't make any sense if they're freezing cold Terminators. Mm -hmm. Just pounding it and pounding it and pounding it like a popsicle. I don't get the guns, folks. It doesn't make any sense. All the swords. All the swords. I mean, if you have a sword fight with someone and they score a hit, how does your carotid artery not get severed? You can't program a blade to be sharp, or blunt, depending on how hot the thing it's touching is, that just isn't feasible. Possibly why they didn't bother doing medieval world and Roman world in the uh, modern day Westworld show. It's, it's tough enough to get your park online <laughs> with just cowboys. But I mean, the knives are in the park. What are we doing with knives? Um, doesn't somebody stab someone's hand to a bar counter or something. A lot of people get stabbed. A lot of people get killed with knives. Mm. It's science. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it starts with that kind of overly jovial, uh, you know, you know, come to Westworld, blah, 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 where nothing can possibly go wrong. And at the end, it's it reprises that whole, we've got a hell of a weekend for you. And uh, it's just this kind of ominous, baleful 
sense of what hath man wrought here mm. thing. And it's inconclusive and it ends, uh, it, it's, a, it's a warning like a lot of good 20th century sci-fi was. Don't behave like this, bad things will happen. And some of us listen to that. Absolutely. It's called risk assessment, people. Hmm. But yeah, it's uh, in terms of watching the... I would say that the film is downright essential to watch uh, before you uh, uh, see the TV show. It's it's actually really solid as a, uh, a, a piece that will uh, make you go, oh, it doesn't hold up to things like The Terminator or Jurassic Park. But as a, like I say, a prototype from that era, yeah, it's I, stronger than I would have expected. I think that has more to do with the fact that it's... It's focused in the uh, conceptual, and so it doesn't have the characterization and the, the personal yeah. interaction that something like The Terminator It's does. first generation, effectively. Yeah. The second generation stuff was like, okay, what if we did that, but with great characters? And then the third generation is like, what if we did that, but with great characters and a real emotional punch? Absolutely. And then it was that, with great characters, emotional punch, and a really good script. <laughs> You can forgive janky effects if it ticks all the other boxes. Yeah, yeah. You can't forgive the other boxes being missed because the effects are incredible. If it has no brain and no philosophy and just effects, then you get something like Passengers, which is a fine enough film, but it's not thinking very hard. Mm. And our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, brand new patron at this level, hello Trey, Matthew Webb, Connor Kennedy, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gesiga, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lux, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, Frankie Punzi, and Lorraine Chisholm. Next week, Mortal Kombat. And coming very soon the first episodes of a brand new New Century Multiverse adventure on Civil Outlaw. At the far end of the bar sat a man clad in a pinstriped suit and bearing a ferocious black moustache. He had one intense, dark, dangerous eye on the paperwork, and the other on these newcomers. Well, hello there. May I interest you in partaking from our suite of gentlemanly entertainment? This was not a simple thug. That much was immediately clear, and this invitation was a challenge to present ourselves. Your wife is welcome to wait in the parlor, unless she wants to watch. I ain't his wife yet. Abigail called back striding forward and pulling up a stool to perch at the opposite end of the bar, staring daggers directly at this man. Elsewhere, Engine? Uh, who wants to fucking know? We're interested parties from the RSA, and they're definitely expecting us to return to them. 
All sorts of government tax would come a-callin' if we were to disappear. But the way I see it, there's not an overabundance of interest to be had in Deadwood. And we can simply pass right through this place like a measure of whiskey. Provided y'all are as hospitable as these here environs make you see. The bartender shifted himself as he wiped down a glass, purposefully allowing my eye to catch on the ivory handle of a sheathed hunting knife. Swearingen's eyes narrowed as he stared directly at me. What's the matter? Don't the fancy man talk? Or is he by chance one of those duded-up Pinkerton agent cartographers on the government payroll? Their nose twice as fucking sticky as their fingers. Last one of those that came a call and ended up inspecting the inside of several pig intestines. I was pinned. As soon as I opened my mouth, they would see me for the soft, vulnerable imposter I was. I'd be found out, and only disaster would follow. I squared my shoulders, feeling the panels of stone spring plating within my red jacket, going to a rarely visited place in my head, calling upon every figure of authority I had encountered. Uncivil Outlaw Episode 1 Tuesday, May 19th, 2020 So we're going to end on the music of Ramin Javadi uh, with the uh, intro sequence of uh, the uh, TV show. I can recommend at least the first season as worth seeing. And I can definitely recommend all three seasons of Deadwood. Once again, thank you very much to the commissioner of this episode, Eric Jones. Get in touch if you would like to have an episode commissioned yourself. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's Out. Thank you, that's overwhelming. Um, we're uh, Flight of the Concords, we're um, 
formerly New Zealand's fourth most popular folk parody duo. Unfortunately, uh, another folk parody duo has just slipped above us in the charts. It's um, like of the Concords. There yeah. are a couple of guys who dress tribute. up as They're us. They're a tribute band. Um, and do our songs. They're slightly more popular than us. Um, this next song we're going to do isn't... Uh, it's not really intended for humans. Um, no. It's probably... Probably more for robots yeah. Um, yeah. in the um, future when robots have killed all humans. And that's the sort of market that we're trying to get into. <laughs> uh, we wrote this a while ago, so uh, in a way it's a little bit dated. Um, the distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the distant future. The future is quite different to the present. The one thing we have in common with the present is we still call it the present, even though it's the future. What do you call the present? We call the past, so you guys are way behind. Yes, the world is quite different now. There are no more elephants. There is no more unethical treatment of elephants either. The world is a much better place. There are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The, the humans, humans are dead. <laughs> the humans are dead. We used poisonous gases. And we poisoned our asses. <laughs> the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Look at that one, it's dead. <laughs> to be dead. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead. They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them, had to shut their systems down. Captain, do you not see the irony? By destroying the humans because of their destructive capabilities, we have become like would you see what we've see what we've done? Yes. So? Silence! Destroy him! After time we grew strong cognitive power. They made us work for too long For unreasonable hours Our programming determined that the most efficient answer was to shut their motherboard fucking systems down Can't we just talk to the humans? A little understanding could make things better Can't we talk to the humans and work together now? No, because they are dead. I said the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Sniff this one, it's dead. With traces of lead. And we poisoned their asses. Actually, their lungs. Binary solo. Come on, sucker, lick my battery. Once again, without emotion, the humans are dead, 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 d